Well, welcome, as I said already, to 2023. Uh, and as the start of the new year, you know what that means. It's always time for New Year's resolutions. Or as I was talking with our worship leader, Sarah Flowers, this morning, she really does not like the language of resolutions. But what are our, maybe we might have goals uh, for the year. I found this fact on the internet. Take it with a grain of salt. You know uh, how that goes. But according to the World Wide Web, it was the Babylonians who invented New Year's resolutions some 4,000 years ago. I didn't know that. Uh, their new year was mid-March, you know, it co- coincided with the time of planting, um, but that's who initiated that. And then the Romans kind of adopted the practice, uh, but set the date as January 1st when they adopted the Julian calendar uh, as the start of the new year. Now, one of the things that I appreciate about this tradition that we have in our culture of New Year's resolutions is that it is an acknowledgement that we are a work in progress. You know, it's a time when we let our hubris down a little bit and we recognize that there are places in our lives where we might not be satisfied with who we are at the present moment. You know, we seek to better ourselves. Maybe we pledge to learn a new language or drop a few pounds, fall in love, spend less and save more. As such, it's a prime, and those are just, again, I, I pulled from things that I found on the internet in terms of like the most popular, 10 most popular uh, um, as a culture New Year's resolutions. But at, at such a time like this, it's maybe thoughtful for us to consider what does it mean for us to make this a spiritual practice as well? Because I'd say there are two predominant differences between how followers of Jesus should engage this practice of uh, New Year's resolutions in the way that the world does. And the first is in identifying what those areas of change are. The places that we would like to see change in our lives are often not the same places that God necessarily wants to see transformation in us. You know, maybe God is interested in us, you know, dropping a few pounds for our health or learning a new language to be sophisticated, but I'm willing to bet, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think it's a safe assumption that he is more concerned with us developing our character practicing healthy rhythms, learning more what it means to rely upon him. Now, there's nothing wrong with those traditional listing of resolutions, but we should also include areas that help us channel our focus on God, on Christ, whether that means we read our Bibles more regularly, we pray more often, seek growth of virtues listed in the fruit of the Spirit, Or maybe it's just about noticing the presence of God more uh, acutely, more awarely in our lives. These are going to be the types of resolutions or goals that produce lasting change for the good of the world and the glory of God. But the other divergence from this classic understanding of uh, resolutions is that transformation is not entirely dependent upon ourselves. The practice of New Year's resolutions oftentimes is an exercise in self-sufficiency, right? It's all about recognizing our deficiencies and by the force of the will, trying to see those behaviors change. But the gospel is not about change through brute force. The good news of Christ is a story of renovation through the power of God's Holy Spirit. It's one where God does the heavy lifting to bring these desired changes in our lives. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we are free from all responsibilities. We're not off the hook. 
The rhythm of the Bible points to a dual responsibility. One of my favorite, I have a lot of favorite passages in scriptures, but one of, another one of them, and I like these ones that kind of almost seem like they're a walking contradiction, is this one from Philippians 2, 12 to 13. It highlights this union. Paul says this, he says in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And in the very next verse, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? Like there's this, this mystery of how these things work together, right? Work out this command, work out your salvation because God is at work in you. Both parties have a part to play in this development of character. So what I'm suggesting that we consider this morning as we enter into 2023 is to use this new year as an opportunity for us to, to refocus our attentiveness to what God is doing around us making the most of every opportunity to turn to God in worship. We use this term, worship. Sometimes we use it a little lightly. We describe it, use it to describe this collection of songs that we sing. Or maybe just this hour and 15 minutes that we're together each week as worship. And, and, And those things are worship. But worship at its core, and this is what we see time and time again in Scripture, is about attributing worth to God. It's rightly acknowledging who he is. Sometimes I think we're too casual with God. Yes, Jesus called the disciples, and I think by us, by extension, his friends. So we are friends of God. We are children of God. But God is also powerful, and he is much greater than us. When we see throughout Scripture, I know I, know I kind of go to this well uh, quite often, but it's always an important reminder for me that when we see these figures in the Bible who were in the presence of God, we see that it is a magnificent and awesome, at the, like the true meaning of awesome, awe-inspiring encounter. Right? Think of Moses who, who, whom God said to him that he couldn't see his face because if he saw God's face, he was going to die. Isaiah in his throne room encounter in Isaiah chapter 6 cries out, woe is me. Ezekiel has this powerful uh, vision of the glory of God in Babylon. And check this out. The end of chapter 1, he describes it like this, that it was the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So you could argue it wasn't even God in all of his glory, but kind of a representation, a copy of it that, that Ezekiel experiences, and it says that he falls down on his face. The Apostle John in the New Testament, the very beginning of the letter of Revelation, has this vision of the risen Christ in heaven, and it says that he fell down at his feet as though he was dead. I think we would have, we would benefit from having our alignment jarred a bit, being reminded that God is not someone that we ought to enter into his presence lightly or flippantly. Through the gospel, we have unfettered access to God. We've been adopted into his family. He loves us as his children, but we dare not forget the power and honor that is due to him. So if you would open your Bibles with me this morning, I'm going to look at Revelation chapter 4. I want to look at a particular text which kind of peels back the veil and gives us a glimpse 
into the fanfare that is part of God's glory in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realm. Now, this text takes place after the letters that Jesus has kind of commissioned the Apostle John to write to the, to the seven churches in Asia Minor. We looked at that, uh, I was going to say earlier this year, but we're in a new year. So it was, you know, the spring of last year. Um, and, you know, John has finished dictating these words to John, and, and, and John is given this glimpse into the throne room of God. And the way that God is described here is, uh, again, it's very awe-inspiring. He's, his his image is described as, as precious stones, right? You have lightning and going off and thunder. It, you know, it's, um, it, it's, uh, there's a term called theophany, which is kind of the appearance of God. And when you see this in the Old Testament, it's every time kind of God appears, whether it's on the mountain of, uh, uh, you know, one of, one of the, the mountains that God's, you know, giving the law at and whatnot, it's always accompanied by, you know, lightning and thunder, these powerful showcases of his power. Let's pick up at verse 6. Verses 6 through 8 we'll read, Revelation 4, 6 through 8. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And this is pulled almost, uh, not verbatim, but from Ezekiel chapter 1, which we're not going to go to, but you'll see a lot of uh, connection there. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So God's throne is flanked by these living creatures, and they've got the representative of a, of a number of, of uh, creatures from the animal kingdom, but with wings, they're covered with eyes. I don't know if you saw this. There was a meme that was circulating in the weeks leading up to Christmas uh, on the internet. Uh, and it said, you know, babe, don't forget to put the biblically accurate angel atop of the tree. Uh, I don't know if that's what your angels look like. Uh, again, I don't think that's precisely what those living beings look like, but uh, probably a, a much better representation than the, you know, winged people that we see on our trees uh, nowadays. Um, I, you know, if you, if you uh, I don't know, if I encountered something like that, I'd be pretty terrified as well. Um, but, you know, the, these, these angelic beings, they're not just there to spectate what God is doing. Right? They're not sitting in their lazy boy recliner, you know, hanging out with the big dog. Even these supernatural beings are showing their devotion to God. They're worshiping him, attributing worth to him. The text says that day and night they continue to recite these praises of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Over and over, repeating this refrain. These 16 words on repeat, highlighting God's character. First, they say that he is holy. Now, we often confuse God's holiness with his purity. And purity is a part of what makes him holy. But God's holiness is at its root, his otherness from us. Now, in the Old Testament, you might read that, that the priests would consecrate an object. And literally, what that word meant in Hebrew is to make it holy. It meant to set it apart for a specific or special use. 
just to use an example, in our house, we have a blue ceramic, I don't know if it's ceramic, whatever, it, it's a plate, a blue plate that is in our, our cabinets. It is a plate that is consecrated. It's for specific purposes. When we want to celebrate an achievement in our family, the person who we are trying to honor receives at dinner time the blue plate. So you could argue, again, I, this is a, I'm not trying to be flippant in this, but you could argue that the blue plate is holy by the definition of what it means to be holy, to be set apart from the other dishes in our house. Now, God is holy, but he's just not holy, as the angels sing. He is really really, really holy, right? That, that, that threefold use, we sang it this morning in our song, and, and you know, it, it, it's using, it, it's showcasing emphasis. You know, I, I don't know, I th- oftentimes think about things in mathematical terms, it's kind of the way my brain is wired, and so, you know, th- this doesn't just mean it's, don't think about it like multiplication, that God is like triple holy, you know, uh, the three times, but think about it more in terms of exponents, right? Holy to the, to the power of holy to the power of holy, that there is absolutely nothing in all of creation in the entire cosmos, our universe, that can compare with him. He is entirely different and set apart from us. Now, there's all kinds of things you could say about us being made in the image of God, likeness of God. There's a lot in that, but even in, in those similarities we have with God, he is distinct and different from us. The spiritual beings then list three titles to the one sitting on the throne. They label him Lord, God, and Almighty. Again, we sang those same titles this morning. And each of these titles highlights a part of God's nature. He is Lord. He is the master, the ruler, the one who is sovereign over all of creation. In the Old Testament, the personal name of God was Yahweh. But the Hebrew people, in an effort to not violate the third commandment about taking the Lord's name in vain, Uh, they would substitute that name Yahweh for the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord or Master. So the angels here, by saying Lord, are recognizing him as the ruler. Next, they name him God. Now, from the Old Testament understanding, God was a much more generic word. I know I've talked about this a few times. There were many gods in the ancient world in in a similar way that even in our culture, the word God can mean, you know, the Christian God. God of Islam, the gods of, of uh, Hinduism. There are lots of gods in our world. But God here is, is rep- representing right, that he is the creator. He's, but he's not just God. He is the Lord God, the one who is Lord of lords and King of kings. You can say whatever else you want to say about there being gods, but there is only one God with a capital G. Lastly, the Lord God is almighty. He is powerful. He is unrestricted in his power and dominion. There's nothing outside of the scope of what he is capable of. And so each of these titles are are used to represent the authority that God possesses. And we see these creatures, these angelic beings, putting themselves in the position of servants. They are his subjects in his kingdom and giving him homage, homage, praise for who he is. But God's Glory is not based only upon his power and authority. He's also lauded for his position over space and time. The angels describe him as the one who was, who is, and who's coming. That's our three main tenses, past, present, and future. God is over those. He is eternal. 
Right? There is not a time and there is not a space where God does not and has not exist. Before the very foundations of time itself, God was there. I mean, think of that like blows my mind that there was a time when there wasn't time. I can't wrap my mind around that. Even the name Yahweh highlights his self-sufficiency. I am who I am, or it could be translated, I will be what I will be. I, I think about our, our um, in modern theology, we use our, the three omnis, you know, to, to highlight this, to highlight this quality of God, that he is omnipresent. He exists in spaces simultaneously. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. It goes about what we talked about with that Lord God Almighty. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Excuse me while I nerd out a little bit. Again, I don't understand this stuff. But, you know, we live in three dimensions, four depending on how you count and measure it, right? We experience life in height and width and depth. And it was Einstein who revealed that we also live in a fourth dimension, which is how we experience kind of the flow of time. Modern scientists have this theory called string theory that suggests that there is something like another six dimensions, that we're not able to experience. I don't understand it, but these really smart people suppose, you know. Uh, we watched my family a few years ago, or whenever it came out, watched the TV show Loki on Disney+, Plus, which provided a scientific, kind of science fiction look into the idea of the multiverse, a place where multiple universes all exist simultaneously, each maybe having their own laws of physics and ordering of matter. And there are scientists that say that that could be a real thing. Again, I don't understand it. It's enough to make my head spin, but what I know is that as believers in Jesus Christ, what we acknowledge is that in all of these theories of multiple extra dimensions, countless universes, if all of this stuff is true, God is above all of them. I can't wrap my mind around it, but God's ways are so much bigger than my ways. What is complex and impossible for me to comprehend is like basic arithmetic for the Lord. And so we see these angelic beings giving praise and glory to God. Day and night, without ceasing, they share these words of adulation about God. And, you know, in fairness, these words don't embody everything there is about God's nature, but I think it's a good cross-section of who it is that we worship. And so I want to I pause here, and I want to take some time and do a little exercise. And, and I've got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, this was not my idea. Um, I, I, I'm totally borrowing it from Francis Chan. But if we look at that verse 8, Revelation 4, verse 8, in our English Bibles, the angels use 16 words over and over again to express uh, their joy in God. And I, I also checked in the Greek because I was like, well, what was it originally? It's also 16 words, um, funny enough. And so what I want us to comprehend and, and think about here is that if you only had 16 words to say about God for the rest of eternity, what would they be? And if there were only 16 things, 16 words, that phrase that you would repeat like the angels over and over again, what would it be? Now, for some of you, um, the idea of doing that might sound like your own personal hell. Um, you know, just kind of over and over again on repeat, be like, what, when, when do I stop? Um, and I'm not, you know, please don't hear me say that this is like 
that I'm suggesting that that is what heaven is going to be like, that we've got 16 words that we're going to say over and over again. Um, My goal here is not to create a theology of heaven, but to help us focus on what would we say to God or about God in that situation. Because like I said before, I think sometimes we're a little flippant with how we communicate with God. He loves to converse with us. He wants to hear about the things that we're passionate about, both positively and things that we struggle, uh, and, you know, struggles that we encounter. But there's something to be said about precision in our language. That if you knew you only had 16 words to share about God's goodness and glory, I think we would cho- choose those words very meticulously and carefully. We wouldn't want to waste a single one. A couple days ago, we were visiting my sister-in-law's family in Virginia late last week, and I shared with her, you know, what I was speaking about this morning, and when I said about, you know, the question I'm going to ask is, what 16 words would, she, would, we, would you use? And she responded somewhat tongue-in-cheek. She's like, probably the ones the angel said. And I was like, okay, touche. Yes, that, like, that's clearly sufficient, but I think there is an exercise like this that can be really helpful for us to think about. You know, we we learn and express knowledge through the fruit of our own labor. You can read words on a page and they can be entirely true and accurate, but when we try to put something into our own words, it solidifies our comprehension in a new way. I mean, think about about it in terms of uh, uh, your your days uh, back in school, high school, college. Many college classes had a two-part system. You had a lecture and then a lab. And yes, you had this in the sciences, but you also had it in social sciences. You also had it, you know, maybe in English class where you had to learn about some stuff and then you had to write a prompt for it. The lecture would tell you the material, but the lab allowed you to put it into practice. So what we're going to do for the next five to ten minutes is we're going to put together a little laboratory experiment for us. I want to invite you, like I'm going to get down off the stage and I'm going to invite you to brainstorm what 16 words you would share with God. And, you know, when our time's over, I'll I'll share with you kind of what I had come up with and an invitation if anyone else wants to share, you know, this is is what I would say to God. You don't have to. uh, No expectation, no pressure on that. But know that, you know, myself and others in our congregation would be blessed to hear the thoughts of the collection of, of saints. So a couple more disclaimers before we start this. I know it might feel like a lot of pressure to, like, to get it perfect, um, like, you know, these are the 16 words, like, this is all you can do ever again. But, like, don't worry about screwing it up. You know, just explore what words you would use to tell God how great he is. Right? There's, there's no right answer to it. You know, there, there are notepads and pens in the pews. You could pull out your phone and, you know, pull up a note on that and start writing. But I want to invite you to use it as a time of offering to God. And honestly, like you could just sit in the pew and play on your phone for the next five minutes, and that would be easy to do, and the time would be done, uh, and you could move on with your day. Um, but I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to devote yourself to this time. Because I, I, I know it might be a little uncomfortable, but to put yourself out there, because God is certainly worthy of the fruit of our labor. So Sarah's already started some music. We're just going to have that playing in the background. And I invite you to write down 16 words that you would to the Lord.
know I may not have given enough time for that. Um, if that is the case, feel free to continue um, with this after after the service is over. Um, you know, I'll I'll share with you kind of what I what I came up with, and if there are others that want to share, um, would would love to have hear what what was on your heart in this. Um, I wrote, God, the Lord above all, just and merciful, powerful and compassionate, healer, savior, father, friend. Anyone else want to share? No pressure. Yeah, here, let me bring the microphone over just so we can hear you. Say that again? No. Well, I'm not reading it. Here, why don't you share with us? Um, best friend, hero, dependable, loved, honest, faithful, always listens, cries, happy, feels pain, needy, strong energy, fulfilling everywhere, he's everywhere, inventor and hopeful. Thank you, Carol. He who is faithful in keeping his promises, who sees beyond my experience and sustains me. Thanks. I'll share mine. Um, Mighty God, gracious, kind and powerful ruler, gently loving father, merciful, understanding savior, lost. Anyone else? Well, I hope that you had an opportunity to, to do that, and if, if you didn't get to finish, that you could continue. Um, you know, I, as we move into 2023, I hope that we can think about these things. I inventory our relationship with God and balancing that accessibility we have with his majesty. Right, we've got a free ticket to enter his presence, but are we doing so in a way that honors and respects that what he is who he is and what he's due. And so as, as we think about that, here are some reflection questions. You know, so this is the first is, if you haven't done so, um, spend, spend some time brainstorming what 16 words you would use to honor and worship God. Second is this, is read Revelation 4.8. What characteristics of God's nature do you find missing in the angelic proclamation? Because it's, I mean, with their words, there's only so much you can communicate. Um, in fact, I was thinking about opening our worship service with Isaiah 6, uh, which is the throne room of God, where you see similar, the, the seraphim instead of the cherubim. Uh, but they say something very similar. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So it's a, it's a little different. Um, and so there are definitely things that we're going to, to focus on that might be distinct and different from what we hear the angels say there in Revelation. And then each day, uh, the last one is this, that each day that you go to God in prayer to begin with adoration, right? telling God why he is great, starting there instead of, because I know, I, I don't know if you're like me, that I, very easily I jump into what my, my need list is. You know, God, here are the things that I want you to do or here are the people that I want you to, to, to help and heal. And God wants to hear those things, but just by putting some priority on that focus of, 
adoring him for who he is, not what he does for us, I think can also help aid uh, that, uh, that process, that reorientation of, of worship of him. So let's, uh, let's join in prayer, and then we've got one more song we'll sing together. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done, that I thank you for your greatness, that in your holiness, in your otherness, that you saw fit to uh, um, create humanity. When we wandered away, that you saw fit to redeem humanity and adopt us into your family. Lord, you are mighty, you are powerful. May we keep these things in mind as we worship you, that you are our friend, but you are also so much more than that. Lord, we lift this time to you in Christ's name.